Welcome to episode 7 of Mimble Wimble, the Harry Potter podcast. I'm Prashanthini and I'm Aishwarya. We will be rereading and discussing the Harry Potter books over the course of our run. Currently, we are reading book 1, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Today's episode is called Harry Gets Detention. We'll cover the events that happen in chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel, chapter 14, Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback, and we'll stop at the beginning of chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. Let's start with the summary. So Harry is still recovering from his encounter with the mirror of Elsid even as Christmas break comes to an end. They catch a lucky break and find out who Nicholas Flamel is thanks to Neville. Nicholas Flamel turns out to be the only known possessor of the philosopher's stone, something that can produce the elixir of life, an anti-aging potion of sorts. Harry also is training for Quidditch furiously. If they win their next match against Hufflepuff, Gryffindor gets to overtake Slytherin for the first time in the house championship in seven years. But they find out that Snape is going to be refereeing the match, so Harry gets really worked up over it. Thankfully, the match goes off pretty well. Harry catches the snitch really quickly. After the match, Harry overhears a conversation between Snape and Quirrell and realizes that it's not just the three-headed dog that's guarding the stone. but there are a bunch of enchantments guarding the stone set by different people and he thinks that snape wants to know what quirrell's enchantment is so that he can break it and go steal the stone himself when they try to ask hagrid about the enchantments around the stone hagrid hushes them up and asks them to come to his hut where they discover that he is trying to hatch and raise a dragon which is illegal in great britain malfoy unfortunately overhears them discussing this and follows them to the hut and sees the dragon for himself They thankfully convince Hagrid to give Norbert the dragon to Ron's brother Charlie who's working with dragons in Romania. Malfoy figures out their plan but in the process of trying to get them caught he ends up getting caught. Harry and Hermione send off Norbert with Charlie's friends but end up getting caught by Filch. They along with Neville who is trying to find them and warn them about Malfoy end up getting detentions and losing 50 points each for Gryffindor. So Harry is still recovering from his encounter with the mirror of Erised. He's getting nightmares. He's always had nightmares about a green flash of light and now he's able to connect that the light that he keeps seeing in his nightmares is actually the light that killed his parents. Can we talk a little bit about how Harry thinks he knows what his parents look like? The more I think about it, the more they realize that the mirror of Erised will show you what you think your parents look like if you've never actually seen your parents. And yeah. we know at this point that Harry has never seen yeah. his parents. He does not know what they look like. I know that later on in this book Harry does get the chance to see what his parents look like. J.K. Rowling never talks about whether they look like what he imagined they look like in the mirror or did Harry forget what they look like in the mirror. The episode with the mirror of Erised is doubly sad. because not only does harry think he's seeing his parents for the first time but according to me at least he's not actually seeing his parents he's seeing his imagination that's why i feel like he's able to find his resemblance in, in everyone in everyone around him he thinks that someone has his knobbly knees how do you know that <laughs> Of course he's heard that he has his mother's eyes and he looks exactly yeah. like James. So yeah. Ron sees himself in the mirror, an older version of himself. We never see Ron talking about this in the future, but I wonder if he actually saw himself as he grew up to be mm. or if he just saw like a taller version of himself. Mm. Based on how it works, I do feel like it's just imagination. Yeah. I don't know if uh, J.K. Rowling actually thought about this that much when she wrote the Mirror of Elsie episode. So he's having nightmares. It's not a normal nightmare for an 11-year-old. So I kind of like how Ron deals with this. Like he's not making fun of Harry or something. He's just like You see, Dumbledore was right. That mirror could drive you mad, said Ron when Harry told him about these dreams. 
and i thought it was very compassionate and mature instead of saying something pretty dumb like don't think about it Ron i just cannot imagine pretty mature in his response yeah i cannot imagine myself as a 11 year old having this kind of a conversation with someone else i love that when hamani comes back from christmas break she's both horrified at the fact that harry was out of bed and disappointed that they didn't find out who nicholas flamel was even though they had all this time do you think hamani knows that harry saw his parents in the mirror yeah yeah i i do think so because She, she doesn't she, she, she yeah. doesn't describe any of yeah. it so i thought this chapter nicholas femal was very silly compared to the previous one because that was emotionally intense and this one was just a bunch of events slapped together i feel like it was written badly i don't know if i'm right in saying this but just because i'm reading it critically i'm able to see that there's a drop in quality between those two chapters So if Hermione had ever reacted I don't think JK Rowling wrote about it because she is just rushing through events now there's just a lot of things to get done before the final chapter can happen I know I mean this chapter is basically all plot plot happens plot happens plot happens more plot happens <laughs> I I'm not sure about plot I just think things happen more misdirection and more running around the same wrong idea yeah. happens <laughs> Okay if in that context yes this chapter is basically all about confirming the wrong suspicion yeah <laughs> but i also thought it was really weird that uh, i know harry was pretty disturbed by the events of the mirror which is why he forgot but even ron hamine is the only one with her eyes on the prize isn't it incredible also that hamine comes back hears the story of mirror of erised and does not actually suggest that they go looking for the mirror so she can see what she might be or what is her heart's desire she's pretty secure she struggled in the beginning of her school that's very normal compared to what harry or even ron was going through i don't know if ron would have had the curiosity to go looking if uh, harry had not forced him to come no he didn't when harry says i saw my parents and ron says oh i want to see them too Oh yeah. So Ron had a motivation. Ron wanted to see Harry's parents. It's not like they want, knew no, how yeah. it worked. If there's a mirror here where you can see your heart's desire, would you go looking? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't. I would want to know even if it killed me or even if I saw something that I wish I'd never seen, I'd want to know. I don't know. I think it, yeah. it can break you for life. Yeah. But, Why would you but want not to be broken? Know, but not knowing would haunt me forever as well. I would much rather know and be sad about it or than not know and be unsure. I mean it could be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I could see something that I think that I want and then go for it but that's not actually what I want. Well, seeing what I want. What we want and what we don't want in a superficial level is completely different from our heart's desire. I know it Most could be like time you what? wouldn't know. Yeah, so mm. I want to see what is my heart's <laughs> desire. I don't know. <laughs> I'm very scared of it. <laughs> the only way Harry is able to cope with this is is through Quidditch practice. He's tiring himself out. and uh, in spite of rain and like wind they are playing this don't you a- think it's weird that wizards don't use spells to protect themselves when it's raining do you think it's like a it builds character kind of thing <laughs> i don't think they care it's a pretty big difference between muggle sports and wizarding world sport muggle sports usually stops when it rains muggle sports stop because of pitch yeah they That's don't want to affect pitch conditions yeah wizarding sports don't care about pitch conditions <laughs> the pitch is the air but even then when there's like a storm later on in the books they still continue playing could be seen as a feature that's never used <laughs> i i'm sure there are a lot of things that quidditch teams can do to make themselves better at sports it's like anything in real world there are a lot of things you can do but it's not like you do everything that's you true. just don't know something have you seen sports getting stopped by snow the sports that i can think of that have a possibility of getting stopped by snow sports like football i guess mm-hmm. probably don't play in winter at all so there's I not think, even a chance of yeah. snow stopping it should we call someone and be like what are there sports that get stopped by snow <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be funny
Hey, we Hi. have a doubt. Aishwarya and I have yes. a doubt. Because you watch football, we are asking you. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> yes. Do any football matches get stopped because of snow? Recently, I don't remember a match which stopped in between, but uh, there are matches which stopped before the match started. Oh, like, okay. They had to postpone yeah. it. Yeah, and there are some delays that happen, yes. But I don't remember a match where, like, it completely stopped because of it. Ah, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Vinod, for your contribution. Yes, thank you. <laughs> okay, then. Bye, we'll talk to you later. Yeah. So we asked one of our other friends as well and this is what they had to say that there are some football games that are stopped by snow some are not it completely depends on the ground that they're playing on if there's good equipment they remove the snow before the game but he has actually seen german and russian teams play on snow that is pretty cool i guess the prediction of weather conditions has improved a lot okay let's move on <laughs> so harry remarks that he's training so hard because he wants to tire himself out mm. and because he wants to beat slytherin as badly as wood mm. why does harry want to beat slytherin as badly as wood four months before the events of this chapter he didn't even know there was such a thing as slytherin <laughs> the like we discussed last time he has his insane hatred for malfoy and i'm sure malfoy is like taunting him at every chance and there's also snape who's like favoring the slytherins it's just when you get angry at injustice but their matches up against hufflepuff but they discover that snape is going to be the referee for the match something that really really bombs harry out i love that when he goes back to the common room to tell hermione and ron they try to do a whole fred and george bit yeah don't play said hermione at once say you're ill said ron pretend to break your leg hermione suggested really break your leg said ron this match is described as a very important one because gryffindors can beat slytherin for the house championship but not not just the quidditch, match yeah. not just the quidditch cup itself they haven't described a quidditch cup yet i guess so there are points for winning yes there are so slytherins have been winning the house cup for 7 years straight all we know about slytherins right now is that they are very evil mm-hmm. either they they're are evil in a cartoonish manner yeah but to win a house cup you should be good at many things you should be good at sports you should be good at studies you should not get into trouble so much that you lose points we know that they do get into trouble a lot they at least try to get other people into trouble and they end up getting getting in trouble themselves that means people in sidarin are scoring so many points that they're able to offset all these points they lose by getting into trouble yeah so they must be super talented yeah yet all we know about them is that they're evil yeah pretty much You're right on all those counts that Slytherin for Slytherin to have won the championship seven times no matter how much their house head favors them it means that they must be doing several things right yeah. there must be several very smart Slytherins several talented players all of them winning points enough to offset people like Malfoy losing them points in some kind of weird one-upmanship game he has with Harry Potter <laughs> Harry returns the favor for all we know the Slytherin house probably hates Malfoy for losing them points all the yeah. time what you said was right they feel like a cartoon villain right now but they have more nuance and it's unfair to make Malfoy the representation of Slytherin house entirely After Hermione and Ron suggest that he break his leg, uh, Harry says that he cannot even get a substitute in because there is no reserve seeker. What about the person who was supposed to be seeker that year? Maybe before, they never had a seeker. Before McGonagall brings Harry to Wood and says make him the seeker, they must have had plans to get a seeker, right? Yeah, they would have probably had 
try out right yeah i just Dumbledore find or mentions it in the beginning oh there are quidditch stuff but i just find it really hard to believe that they don't have a reserve seeker <laughs> to place that much confidence in a first year showing up all the time it's incredible just that their previous situation was probably much worse yeah i know that this affects them later on in the book the mm. fact that they don't have a reserve seeker yet they make no attempt to remedy the situation yeah. whatsoever for mm. the next four books at least and gryffindors are supposed to be jocks why are they so bad at sports of all the people in gryffindor they just could find what seven people who are good at sports yeah i know it's when they are discussing this very dismal situation that neville bunny hops into the gryffindor common room and says that uh, malfoy put a leg locker curse on him Harry and Ron and Hermione attempt to cheer him up by saying various things but Neville gets cheered up by a chocolate frog card which is yet another similarity that Neville and I shared. <laughs> Neville actually gets cheered up when Harry says you're worth 12 of Malfoy. 12 is such an odd number to use. Yeah. When Neville hops into the Gryffindor common room he addresses something that a lot of critical readers might be thinking at that point which is that why is Neville a Gryffindor and he himself voices it out like There's no need to tell me I'm not brave enough to be in Gryffindor. Malfoy's already done that. Neville choked. Poor Neville. J.K. Rowling actually doesn't address it, but more like she acknowledges it. She's like, there is a reason he is in Gryffindor and you will see it later. But anyway, the random chocolate frog offering leads them to discovering who Nicholas, Nicholas Flamel actually is. Harry always knew that he read the name Nicholas Flamel somewhere. And finally, he figures that he saw it in the chocolate frog. card about Albus Dumbledore it says Professor Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945 for the discovery of the 12 uses of dragon's blood and his work on alchemy with his partner Nicholas Flamel Don't you think it's weird that the card specifically says his partner Flamel when Hermione produces that old book that she took out for light reading Uh, the book says that Nicholas Flamel was 665 the year before the book was published. Nicholas Flamel is the only known possessor of the philosopher's stone. He has been using it successfully for nearly 600 years, mm. which means Nicholas Flamel has been doing work on the philosopher's stone way before Dumbledore yeah. came on the scene. Yeah. But Dumbledore is known for his work in alchemy with his partner <laughs> Nicholas Flamel. <laughs> Nicholas Flamel should have his own card. <laughs> I'm sure he does. They couldn't have possibly worked on the Philosopher's Stone together. It's probably some other project that they took on and worked, right? Alchemy was thought to be a science where you turned any metal into gold. Mm. So, the Philosopher's Stone also does that. Yeah. It turns metal into gold mm. and it produces the elixir of life. If you already have the Philosopher's Stone, Where do you go beyond that? <laughs> They never talk about alchemy after this in the books. I've always wondered like what is Dumbledore's contribution? So Nicholas Flamel was a French scribe and manuscript seller. He is based off a real person. Uh the legend goes that an angel came in his dream and told him of a magical book that he eventually find that will help him discover the secrets of life. So he finds this magical book. He the magical in, book was written in some other language, no? Yes, it's written in an unrecognizable language. So he travels all over the known world looking to discover its secrets so he can live forever. So and then he died. He he was very rich. There's a street in Paris which is attributed to him. There's a street in his wife's name. Uh you can still see his house. As the legend goes 200 years or so after he died, there was a manuscript that came to light written by him where he describes his journey of finding the philosopher's stone and everything that he did. uh we know now that the someone wrote it as a joke like they 
they wrote it under the pen name nicholas flamel and they were just like you know adding to the legend and stuff like that the real person actually did die and is, <laughs> does not possess but obviously everybody took to the legend and people claimed to have seen him in the opera in 1792 but obviously there is this one theory that the whole hype was a marketing ploy to get sales for that book that was supposed to be written by nicholas flamel yeah that that is the only possible explanation it actually sounds pretty fun that they would do this yeah so i guess some people still think that Nicholas Flamel is alive and kicking. Yes. And J.K. Rowling just goes on to confirm it. She said that when she was writing this book, she actually had a dream where uh, she dreamt that Nicholas, she was in Nicholas Flamel's laboratory and he was showing her how to make the philosopher's stone and everything was like bathed in golden light. And she wishes she could remember what he told her, but she can't. <laughs> I also <laughs> love that uh, due, when they're discussing Nicholas Flamel, J.K. Rowling loses no opportunity to rag on Hermione. The line goes something like, Hermione jumped to her feet. She hadn't looked so excited since they'd got back the marks for their very first piece of homework. And I also love her insult, like when she says, Honestly, don't you two read? It's yeah. my favouritest insult ever. I want, I try to use it all the time, but unfortunately my inflection is not as good as Emma Watson's. So I'm just going to download the recording and like play it out loud anytime someone asks me anything that they should have read about. <laughs> so since this is a book about magic, I think J.K. Rowling just researched about everything that's to do with magic. Like every other, every story that was ever written, every myth, every legend. And then she's trying to find a way to get get them into the book. I never encountered Nicholas Flamel before reading Harry Potter. And I thought that Nicholas Flamel was confined to J.K. Rowling's own imagination. Mm. So you can imagine my surprise when I came across the secrets of the immortal Nicholas Flamel. And I was like, this author has stolen Nicholas Flamel from <laughs> J.K. Rowling. And then I read about him and realized, okay, he exists. When a character is spoken about and is kind of key to the book, but is not even given an opportunity to develop, then you know that it's a, it's a reference and not like a character... Introduced yeah. by J.K. Rowling. Fair enough. So when Harry goes to Ron and Hermione with the news that Snape is refereeing, Ron and Hermione are playing chess. And um, Hermione is not as good as Ron in chess. And both Harry and Ron think that losing is good for Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. That is really funny. I also love that as Harry gets more and more nervous over the next few days, he his mel- sense of melodrama just increases 10x. Because uh, he talks about how Snape is like horrible to him every week. And every week is a torture session. It's a horrible feeling. Snape can read minds. And then when he goes to the Quidditch match, he's uh, he knows that Ron and Hermione are wondering whether they'll ever see him alive. Yeah, what? This is too much drama. Like, why are they they're too in their heads yes. thinking about <laughs> this? They're like, I'm a dead man walking. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that Ron and Hermione are like very seriously practicing the leg locker curse. Snape is on a broom. <laughs> What benefit would the leg locker curse be? His legs are locked around the broom already. That's why I said this chapter was really silly. Yes. <laughs> they were taking things a little too seriously. I think we are supposed to be empathizing with them. I mean, if we are still thinking that Snape is uh, trying to kill Harry, we are supposed to be empathizing with these two when they are trying to save him. But I don't think any uh, first-time reader would get that feeling because if you think someone's trying to kill you, I think you take it to someone. Okay. Take it take it to McGonagall or take it to Dumbledore. Honestly, as a child, I was probably on Harry's side. Really? Yeah, I I don't think I would have taken it to a teacher. I I don't think I would have... I wouldn't have tried to deal with it myself. I would have just like sat in a corner and hoped it would go away. But I wouldn't have taken it to a teacher. I would have empathized with Harry's sense of melodrama. But probably not to this extent. I but as adults, we are thinking, why didn't they just take it to a teacher if they're so worried that Snape is trying to kill them? Yeah. But Harry does calm down a little bit after he realizes that Dumbledore has come to watch the match mm-hmm. and that Snape would never try something with Dumbledore there. 
something that still doesn't calm Ron or Hermione down. <laughs> the match begins and it looks like the Gryffindor team was not wrong in thinking that Snape is biased because Snape actually does award a penalty to Hufflepuff for no reason whatsoever according to this disembodied narrator who is telling us things when Harry it's not directly from Harry's point of view. Malfoy, Crabbe and Goyle take the seats behind Ron, Hermione and Neville who are watching the match together and proceeds to heckle Ron and Harry and Neville during the match. And I think that's when, remember your earlier point about Neville being in Gryffindor, that's when Neville goes to prove why he's in Gryffindor. Because when Ron turns around and slugs Malfoy, Neville bravely jumps in and attacks Crabbe and Goyle. <laughs> I think he's braver than Ron in he doing that. He knocked out. <laughs> which I think is incredible. He knew they were twice his side. He only hesitates a little bit, but still goes for it anyway. That's incredible. Yeah. He doesn't think I have to call a teacher. He doesn't think Ron can take care of himself. Yeah. He dives in. He helps yeah. his friend. Because Hermione and Ron are practicing the like locker curse and Hermione is like whispering. Locomotomotus. Uh, Locomotomotus. Yeah. And Ron is like, don't nag. I hated it. I know, me too. There is like a couple of mentions of nagging in this, uh, in these two chapters. I don't know why. I just, I'm, I think I started out prejudiced. I just did not like where this chapter was going. And with every small mistake. I wouldn't call it a mistake. More like I'd be like, shut up, Ron. <laughs> you you stop nagging, Hermione. <laughs> it's a total trigger word for me as well. Where When I see some the word nag written down or I see someone say nag and especially in reference to a woman, that's mm. it. I just like get really angry immediately. I'm like the Hulk. Zero to 60. <laughs> like one second. <laughs> <laughs> and Malfoy's joke that triggers Ron and Neville was excellent. You know how I think they choose people for the Gryffindor team? It's people they feel sorry for. See, there's Potter, who's got no parents. Then there's the Weasleys, who've got no money. You should be on the team, Longbottom. You've got no brains. <laughs> and then he, what he says about, look, Harry's diving at the ground. Maybe he found some gold. <laughs> so, but you're right, is actually very good at insulting. <laughs> he's starting to get better. Yeah. So they get into a fight and everybody gets hurt. Harry finishes the match really early by catching the snitch. Snape is visibly pissed off. I don't know why. I guess we are supposed to understand that Snape is pissed because he didn't get a chance to kill Harry. Yeah, but more like I think Snape might be pissed off because Gryffindor has overtaken Slytherin in the house championship for the first time in seven years and he's had a rivalry going on with McGonagall about this. Or that maybe Dumbledore chose to come to the match even though Snape is refereeing there. Yeah. And taking care of things. Yeah. Could be so many reasons, but it's because he didn't get the chance to kill Harry in front of the whole school. And I'm sure that he's slightly pissed off about like being on a broom. Yes. Can you imagine Snape on a broom? I know. And can you imagine him having to referee a Quidditch match? Yeah. I cannot even see him on a broom. I wanted to know what you thought of this. What do you think Dumbledore came to the match for? Do you think he came there to protect Harry from Snape's attacks? Or I'm, I'm doing air quotes here. <laughs> or uh, do you think Dumbledore came to see if Harry's doing okay after the mirror incident? I think both things. Like first I thought maybe Dumbledore came because in the last match that Harry was in, there was that whole incident with the broom. So maybe he came just to like prevent something from happening. But I also thought because of his comment at the end of the match mm. that he might have come just to see if Harry's doing okay. Nice to see you haven't been brooding about that mirror. Been keeping busy. Excellent. I'm sure you would have been hearing reports from like teachers, but it would have looked really weird if Dumbledore had ducked into like one lesson of with first years and been like, I'm just observing Harry from the background here. This is actually the only opportunity he can check on Harry directly without yeah. it seeming weird by the rest of the students. Without it seeming like overt favoritism, even though it is. I don't think it's favoritism. I think he's actually in danger. Yeah. 
and um, it's quite irresponsible of um, the teachers to let it go so far yeah this coupled with hagrid being an irresponsible mentor sort of person i feel i am convinced that if you want a good adventure in your life you need to be around irresponsible adults but now that i am an adult i guess the window of age where i could actually have an adventure happen to me is past no you can still hang around with irresponsible adults no i just figured that i can be the irresponsible adult so you other can. people can have an adventure <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the window is past for me to be an irresponsible adult but i can still hang around other irresponsible adults and have an adventure there why can't you be an irresponsible adult now i have two nieces and a nephew and i would never put them in any kind of situation where i'd be answerable for anything that happened to them <laughs> but you have to be responsible with them so that they can have an adventure maybe when they're 21 <laughs> we just don't want good things happening to people yeah i don't i definitely don't <laughs> go find another aunt <laughs> so when harry is like on his way back to the castle he sees a plot device a hooded figure walks out of the castle and heads straight to the forbidden forest harry immediately jumps on his broom and follows the hooded figure but this was done much better in movies no i i, I agree mm-hmm. his overhearing is done much better in the movies if snape wanted to have a private conversation with quirrell why did he come out all the way to the forbidden forest when they are both teachers with their own offices snape has his own classroom he has his own office also it's attached to uh, the classroom the dungeons mm-hmm. It's kind of ridiculous that they're going to the Forbidden Forest to have a conversation. This is another thing. I have learned a lot of things from the Harry Potter books. Uh, like, if you want to have a private conversation, don't go to a quiet place. Go to a crowded place. It's much harder for people to overhear you, etc. Stuff like that. I feel like that's just a theory. I think people overhear all the time in a crowded place. No. That that is only if you're yelling at the top of your voice. <laughs> if you're trying to have a private conversation, at like you can actually... It is very hard to overhear... because other people will also notice you overhearing right so they might be like what are you doing but in a quiet place there's no one else to catch yeah so harry's overhearing what snape is saying to quirrell he's standing on a branch of a tree and he hears like these bits of random information and he concludes that snape wants to know how to get through the defenses that quirrell has put up so he can get to the philosopher's stone which is an absurd conclusion to come to after hearing what he hears first snape says students aren't supposed to know about the philosopher's stone after all and then he says we'll have another little chat soon when you've had time to think things over and decided where your loyalties lie and i also thought it was really absurd that they figured out that everybody has enchantments there which includes Yeah, and then they're like Snape must need help only against squirrels. Yeah, why? Because he one they heard one conversation yeah. he had with squirrel, <laughs> and also you dumbos, he won't ask squirrel himself for the help. Seriously, why? Why would he go and be like squirrel? Help me with the help me with breaking thing. What if squirrel just went to Dumbledore and said Snape's trying to pressure me into helping him? Yeah, that's why he says the loyalties line. I think I guess squirrel at some point was loyal to Snape. <laughs> I just I during you were right when you said that this chapter is very poorly written because at this point I was just basically rolling my eyes and going you guys this is is you know it couldn't be more of a red herring if she written the actual words red herring there <laughs> I love the way the chapter ends it'll be gone by next tuesday mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and and I like if that if there is only person standing up to snape it'll be gone by next tuesday and I like that uh, the way that harry ron and hermione attempt to help quirrell is by like giving him encouraging smiles in the corridor and by ron telling off people who make fun of quirrell's stutter mm. that's nice of them but also yeah. not very helpful to quirrell 
Yeah, this comes in the next chapter, which is Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. Now it's revision time. Mm-hmm. Exams are right around the corner, and Hermione is like, I don't know how I missed preparing for exams for so long. As a person who was very studious when I was younger and who tried to be the class topper, nobody is always on. People don't enjoy studying. They enjoy learning some concepts, but they don't show the same amount of enthusiasm. Hermione shows. for preparing i think i might have been really enthusiastic has its results had been had involved me learning magic hmm. hermione studying something it makes sure that she can do a spell at the end she can brew a potion she can bring about anything she can save lives she can change outcomes hmm. all of yeah. those things there are some practical implications too yeah it's true i just find it weird that she's always on she never takes a break that is true she's yeah. a pretty, she's a very one note character in that manner yeah movies and books always exaggerate nerdiness they never show that people actually struggle or people are sometimes lazy or people sometimes get bored they always think that everything excites them constantly maybe there are people like that but that's not the general population of nerdy people so they're in the library revising and they run into hagrid who's yeah. checking out a book they try to ask him about the philosopher's stone except hagrid very sensibly shuts them up and says students are not supposed to know about the philosopher's stone but you can come visit me in the hut and stuff So immediately Ron goes to check out what Hagrid was checking out and comes back with books about dragons. In the illustrated edition by Jim Kay, which is what I am reading, there is a beautiful picture of dragon eggs. There are a lot of like names that you don't know yet, and you should not encounter in the series except for random like references, like uh, the Hebridean black, which looks like a turnip. There's also a Norwegian ridgeback in that, which mm. gives us the clue that the chapter is about dragons. Mm. I honestly think Ron knows way too much information about dragons even for a person whose brother is working with dragons. No, I also He just think- like rattles information off the top of his head. But it's against our laws, said Ron. Dragon breeding was outlawed by the Warlocks Convention of 1709. Everyone knows that. Ron knows about dragons because he is from a magical family and this goes back to the point we were discussing in the earlier chapter about the information what Ron brings to the table which is information that isn't necessarily that someone how many would have to read in a book to know mm. about but he says everybody knows that dragon breeding is illegal no they don't run <laughs> no they don't this is the first Actually, time we are all hearing about it this information if it had been coming from hermione i would have believed it more because the way he says is it's, it's very texty he's like it was banned by this convention in 1704 or something mm-hmm. and then he's like oh this breed and this breed they are banned and You don't no. find them here or something like that. No, he 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 only knows what you can find in Britain. I think it's just general knowledge. It's like you knowing what kind of animals are indigenous to where you live. Mm. Later on in this chapter, when we hear about the baby dragon itself, it actually reminded me of Terry Pratchett's swamp dragons. So Terry Pratchett's swamp dragons are known because they are evolved in swamps where there is rather little that can be used as fuel. So because of which they find it difficult to like. Uh, create flame to incubate eggs fight off enemies and for like general boredom and stuff like that so they compensate for this by evolving a huge appetite for anything that can be used as combustion so they'll randomly eat anything inside get unstable and sometimes even blow themselves up so this is used to like great effect in uh, his books where mm. the dragons are like often like a joke okay <laughs> <laughs> the the most common form of death is over excitement <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they become plot device that saves the day. I mean, before the Terry Pratchett's dragons, I'd only read about mystical dragons who were like partners, and they like partners with their own feelings and thoughts, and they're sentient beings like uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern Dragons or uh, the Temerar Dragons. 
or the dragons were usually like how to train your dragon dragons which are more like dogs the queens so after all this amazing dragon knowledge that ron drops <laughs> they go to hagrid's hut who confirms their theory that all the teachers have put up some defenses like for the philosopher's stone snape has also put up some enchantments that disappoints harry ron and hermione because they think that now it will be easier than ever for snape to get through other pe- other teachers' defenses so it's a already hot day and hagrid's fire is like roaring and they see that hagrid has an egg in the fire and harry ron and hermione all identify that it's a dragon egg ron is like wonder what it's like to have a peaceful life so uh they can see that hagrid is very excited about it he says that he won the egg the previous night in a pub harry ron and hermione are really worried about hagrid because it's illegal mm. to raise dragons so they're discussing this and they see that malfoy overhears this yeah and malfoy follows them to the hut where they see the egg hatch and hagrid harry personally thinks that it looks disgusting Again in this point there's this beautiful picture in the illustrated edition of a fully grown Norwegian ridgeback and it is incredible it looks it is huge and it looks a lot like a how to train your dragon dragon called the nightmare dragon so malfoy sees the dragon mm-hmm. through a gap in the curtains yeah these three are like it's done malfoy is going to like rat on us at any time but malfoy waits i don't know why he waits and he waits and then ron despite saying that oh it's illegal or, oh i don't know i want a peaceful life actually he's excited about it he goes and helps hagrid feed it i'm not sure if he's excited there are, they do a lot of things that hagrid when hagrid needs help or when the plot demands it yeah so ron just goes to the goes to hagrid to help him out and the dragon bites him his hands get swollen and he's in the hospital wing because it's green yeah and in the meantime they realize that the dragon is like growing too fast because hagrid is feeding the dragon buckets of brandy and chicken blood hagrid is also living in a wooden house i know it's very dumb <laughs> so they figure out that it's not good for the dragon to be there and they tell ron to contact his brother and see if he can take, take him and charlie ron's brother replies saying he can and he can they just need to drop him off at the tallest tower that's the astronomy tower in the on saturday midnight so he puts the letter in a book that malfoy comes and takes away yeah what random set of events i know it's just very like random very far fetched right yeah. and malfoy has been as if he knew that this is going to happen he's been waiting when he finally rats them out he doesn't show the letter to mcgonagall yeah i know which would have gotten him out of trouble yeah they're also very strong 11 year olds they carry the crate with norbert in it all the way from hagrid's hut to the tallest tower and on the way they have to hide because peeves is playing tennis against the wall yes <laughs> harry and hermione like drop the crate off and charlie's friends like take norbert with them yeah and both of them are very happy because they have been having a very tense couple of weeks and this is finally over and hermione is like i could sing and harry is like don't <laughs> They they literally hop back down. And Filch is standing there, and that sentence that left the invisibility cloak on top of the tower. I still remember how I felt when I read it the first time. Yeah. It was like there was like this jump, and I was like, "Oh crap! Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen now?" Like, <laughs> so before we talk about um, what exactly their punishment was, let's go to our Harry Potter story segment. This time we have a story from a friend and a podcast listener who has. sent in his recording all the way from across the atlantic and other oceans whose names i do not know 
So let's listen. I have a Harry Potter story which is not necessarily interesting. The first thing I did when I picked up Philosopher's Stone, which by the way my mom picked up on the side of CMH Road in Bangalore, very pirated copy. Uh, so much so that the front cover was already faded when I got it. I stopped the moment the cat turned into the lady. It was too much for me to process. This is, I think, like 2004 or six. I was pretty late to Harry Potter. It was very astonishing to me that something that had come out in 1997, I believe, was what is like popular in India in 2005. But at the same time, the cat turning into the lady was just too weird. I'd looked at enough Animoff covers in my school library to be freaked out by them. And I had no intention of getting into Animorphs, the British version. So I kept it aside. Uh, some year later, I guess, or maybe six months later, was reorganizing my bookshelves, came across Philosopher's Stone again. More faded now because it had been in there for a while. But I was able to get through till the point where the putouter makes an appearance again. I think I'm not confusing the order. But yeah, I remember being fascinated by the putouter the second time around and like, gritting myself and getting through it and by the time we got to the part where like there's a list of books he needs to buy i was like completely hooked i i remember going through the first book real fast and then having to wait for my mom to get the others from the side of the road didn't have to wait too long the second third and fourth were available and so those four are my first four pirated copies i read them so fast that i didn't remember a lot of the details so i kept going back to them which was nice uh, over time, I kind of stopped going back to Harry Potter and just reading like sections that I liked and things like that. So I'm a huge non-fantasy reader, mainly because I don't have the imagination to translate text into imagery in my head. And Harry Potter like paved the way for me to read a little more fantasy. Not like I've read too much beyond that. I tried, sputtered through Aragon. I was hoping that Experience with dragons would help me understand Aragon better, but nope. Uh, on the other hand, interestingly, uh, it helped me kind of sit through City Watch. I think the Pratchett book, ironic because it came out so much before Philosopher's Stone did. But yeah, so that's my normal Harry Potter story. That's a pretty great story. Thanks, Ninja. Yep, thank you. If you want to share your Harry Potter story with us, please send in a recording to mimblewimblepodcast at gmail.com. So let's get back to chapter 15, The Forbidden, the Forbidden Forest. Forest. Hermione and Harry are like dumbstruck. Even in that moment, J.K. Rowling does not fail to rag on Hermione. She says for the first time, Hermione did not answer a question by a teacher. I think it's Harry thinking these things. So Fine, Harry is the mean one. <laughs> when Filch is taking them to McGonagall, they realize that Neville is also with McGonagall. He was out of bed trying to find them to tell them that Malfoy knows that they were in the astronomy tower and something about a dragon. And I think this also goes to show that Neville is really brave because Mm. Harry thinks it himself. Poor blundering Neville. Harry knew what it must have cost him to try and find them in the dark to warn them. And it's pretty sad. In the book, Malfoy is not actually there with them. But in the movies, he is. And he's pretty proud of himself for like getting them caught. And when McGonagall says that 50 points each will be taken away from all four of you, and he's like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) McGonagall just assumes that they fed a cock and bull story to Malfoy so that he can get into trouble. And Neville happened to hear it 
So, the funniest part is 50 points get taken away mm. each. Mm. So, you go after a troll mm-hmm. which can kill you and you attack it, putting yourself and others in danger and you lose 5 points. But if you are out of bed, presumably because you wanted to get someone else's trouble, you lose 50 points. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> it's just that I think uh, there are some values that McGonagall holds high, which is a don't, do not lie or do not cheat. And she doesn't care about rule breaking when it comes to this place of bravery. You can't see Aishwarya right now, but she looks very bold. <laughs> no, it's because we've come to the end of this episode. And honestly, you were right. The chapters we read were not one of the best. When I was reading them, I was like, so many things happen in these chapters. But I do not care about most of it. <laughs> they're, they're happening, but they do not provide a lot of... There's not a lot of emotional intensity. Yeah, I think or, that was lacking. Yeah. yeah. So after the previous episodes where, you know, we had so much to discuss. Hermione joining the gang and Harry finding the mirror of Erised. This chapter honestly felt a little bit like filler. Mm. So that brings us to the end of episode 7. If you'd like to discuss this episode, drop a comment on our website, mimblewimble.in. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the events leading up to Harry walking through fire. That's chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest and chapter 16, Through the Trapdoor. Until then. If brains were gold, you'd be poorer than Weasley and that's saying something. <laughs>